Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. We're going to spend this month talking about the basics of science of mind. In fact, it's, it's a little bit of a science of mind tradition. Probably if you were to go to almost any science of mind church in the country this month, you would probably encounter Back to Basics. And what we do is we cover the first four chapters. Well, I'm not going to read it to you, I promise. We cover the, <laughs> the first four chapters of the science of mind textbook. And uh, I think a great way to start is actually to read this little bit of a foreword. This is a book for the ages. Oh, this is from Jean Houston, the, the woman that wrote uh, the foreword in this particular edition. And, and I would say it's more a testimonial than a promise. She says, this is a book for the ages. It contains the distilled wisdom of many eras, many cultures, and one great soul. To read it is to be charged to enter into partnership with God to relearn the laws of co-creation. It is perhaps one of the most potent and influential books of the 21st, the 20th century, and yet it appears in no compendium of great books. Its words have inspired countless millions, seeded the growth of spiritually innovative churches and philosophies, and yet no university places it in its curriculum. But perhaps this is as it should be. For it is the hidden masterpiece which must be discovered only when one is ready to enter upon the larger life. And so for this year, I'm ready to enter into that larger life. And I hope you'll come along with me. I think we're going to have some fun this year. I think we're kicking it off in a wonderful way. And uh, as you might imagine, if we want to have a larger life, maybe we should start out with getting a larger idea of God. So today I'd like to talk about God, and in particular I'd like to talk about how we define God in the science of mind, and even what we call God. Most of you were probably raised in some kind of a, a different religious background as children, and probably the, the God that you were most familiar with when you were a child had a certain kind of vision that went along with that. A lot of us have the idea of the guy on the cloud or the golden chair, you know, right? The idea of, of God as kind of a, well, I don't know, half Santa Claus and half judge and jury, sort of, you know, the one that's kind of watching, kind of have you been naughty or nice, kind of your eternal soul might be in peril kind of God. And, uh, and first of all, I, I don't know how to do this because I, in a way, I want you to kind of unlearn that if you're willing. I want us to, to go back in time, maybe when we were little and in the same way when we were seven or eight and said, now exactly how does that work? Why, you know, why do you think it should be that way? I'd like us to get back into that questioning mode again and to think about whether those old images of what God is really have, have any merit to us. So first off, even the name itself can, can trigger both fond ideas and negative associations with God. And I got to tell you, I don't really care what we call God. I, I have chosen to use the idea and the word called God, but honestly, we could call it Allah, we could call it the divine, we could call it the divine feminine, we could call it the way. You know, many of the great religions of the world have different names for it, and one of the things I think that we do well in the science of mind is honoring those traditions because we don't believe we have 
the answer. Do you know what I mean? Each of us gets to have our own relationship with God, and it can be different for each one of us. We don't have the answer. I'm here to say that the answer exists, but, but each one of us gets to experience. Each one of us, in a way, gets to define God on our own. And if we want to call it Allah, if we want to call it the divine or spirit, I'm all for it. Whatever allows us to have that sense of participation in something greater than ourselves, whatever the name is, I'm for it. I also, you'll notice, tend to refer to it as an it. And you might say, well, Larry, isn't it kind of hard to get close to something that's an it? You know, isn't it more traditional to call God him? And I would say, yeah, it's more traditional, but I think there's a real danger there. I think that God is pretty asexual. Uh, I think that God is probably pretty inclusive of the sexes. And so if I choose to call it a him, am I not setting us up for some trouble by kind of anthropomorphizing the idea of that guy up in the cloud that's watching over us? And so I choose to call God an it. No disrespect intended. (laughs) It isn't that I don't think there's not a, a personality in a way that we can get close to, that we can understand in an intimate way. It's just that by calling it a he or a she, I think we're leading ourselves down a path of trouble here. I think it allows us or even invites us to picture God as though God were human. And I think we will discover that there is a danger in that. Okay, so what else do we know about God? Now, the next three things I'm going to mention are probably common for all of those symbols up on the wall in terms of their idea and our idea of God, but I'm going to mention them anyway. First of all, we believe that God is omnipresent, meaning that God is everywhere. Second, we believe that God is omniscient or all-wise. We believe, as most of the world's religions do, that God really is the sum total of all the wisdom of everything that's happened, everything that's happening, and everything that will happen, truly all-wise. And finally, we, like most world religions, believe that God is all-powerful, omnipotent, that idea that um, all of the forces of nature and beyond are a part of that majesty of God. But now I want to turn into that seven-year-old again. So I'm picturing myself at seven, and the, at that time I was Presbyterian, and the, uh, the minister got up and told me about those three omnis, you know, the all-wise, the all-powerful, and whatever, and I'm thinking to myself, well, that's really interesting, so it sounds kind of like a nanny cam at work. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, well, there must be video cameras, right? If God is all wise and knows what's going on, it's a little creepy. But I figure it must be done with wires and video cameras, right? I want to know how it works. If God is all wise, is that like the Encyclopedia Britannica? You know, where is the darn thing, right? If ever, right? At that time, we had just gotten an Encyclopedia Britannica, and I thought that was pretty cool. It's like, there it is. There's all the wisdom. And, and I was surprised that God didn't write it. <laughs> But I'm, I'm a little bit on the questioning side. I want to know how it is that these things can be true. And I will tell you, in the science of mind, we have done it almost through our definition of God. So bear with me here, and I, I think you'll see it comes out right in the end. So first of all, we believe that God is everywhere because God is everything. Now let me... Let you digest that one for a sec. You don't need a nanny cam if God is the nanny too, right? 
So if you think about it, every person, every place, everything, every situation is part of God. And so therefore, can there be anything outside the knowledge of God? There can't be because God would be there too. There's no outside of God. There's no, um, you know, left of God or left behind of God or not yet to have happened in God. It's all, all God. And so that takes care of our first question of the how. God doesn't need to physically somehow get everywhere because God is already there. God doesn't need to have an ear or a TV camera everywhere because the eyes and the ears of the, the people and the animals and everything that are in those situations are part of God too. And as for the encyclopedia part of it, the consciousness of all the individual lives on the planet and beyond, those are the consciousness of God. So of course, all that wisdom that has ever existed or will exist is part of God. We don't need to look it up in the encyclopedia or keep adding to the encyclopedia. That was the other thing I wondered. If, if God somehow wrote that encyclopedia, well, why did it end, you know? <laughs> where, where are the updates? And of course, you don't have to worry about that if God is represented by the consciousness of all. Because every thought that every person, every being is having anywhere is part of that record of God's own consciousness happening. Okay. Now, if you're also like me when I was seven and told this, I might have crossed my arms and kind of go, well, that kind of sounds like you're cheating in a way. <laughs> it kind of sounds like you're getting around this whole idea of God being everywhere just by saying that God is everything. And now, you know, how is that useful or, or, or why is that helpful? You know, why? So you've defined it in such a way that atheists can't even exist. Is that, is that a nice thing to do to them? <laughs> in fact, I was talking talking to a friend of mine who is an atheist, and, and, and it was kind of funny. I was telling him a little bit about our phil philosophy, and he was kind of saying why in his mind organized religion doesn't need to exist, and he said, I don't need that idea of some judgmental person up in the sky watching me and saying that because you did that, you're going to burn in hell or something like that, and I said, I don't believe that either. And he said, you know, I don't like the idea that somehow there is a being up there that has written down some, some divine path for me that I'm, I'm acting out of some playbook somewhere, some kismet of the way things should be and that I don't have free will. And I said, I don't believe in that either. And he said, I don't like the idea, and, and you can see where this is going, so I, I, yeah, all right, fair enough, fair enough. It's like when you define God the way we define God, there kind of isn't such a thing as an atheist anymore, because do you believe in the universe? <laughs> right? Do you believe in yourself? <laughs> the only way you could not believe in what we believe in is kind of not to believe in yourself in a way. And so, so that's the definition of God here. And a friend of mine uh, who's also a minister, we have this game now and then called Whose God is Bigger? And we try, we try to think of ways that we haven't thought of yet in describing God. If God really is everything, right? Well, can you name some things that aren't God? Because then I'll go, no, 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 that's God too. <laughs> that's also God. And the reason that this is so important is because if we know that God is everything, and Sharon is going to talk about this way more next week, it also means that God is us. 
you know, we tend to think uh, in terms of us and them or, or us and it. And so I, I, I think, it's, I, I mean, it, on one sense, on one hand, it makes no sense. But on the, other, on the other hand, I totally see why people go there. And that's, they go, well, yeah, God is everywhere. Well, except here, of course. Right? Because somehow we don't think that we're maybe worthy of that glory or we don't think of ourselves in terms of being part of the divine. But I'm here to tell you, if God is everything, that means the folks right here in this room, God is part of that as well. And when we're connected in that way, then how big God is becomes a real important question. Because when we are connected to something that is really big and really powerful and really loving and really beautiful, we have access to it. It's part of ourselves. There's a connection there. It isn't a me and the them. It isn't a me wishing that something were, were different outside of myself. It's kind of like accessing another part of myself. All right. So far I've described God, you might say, in kind of a mechanical way, in kind of a uh, well, just a definition way, like you looked it up in the dictionary and here's what God is. There could be a danger there. And in fact, again, as that seven-year-old Larry, I had kind of a cool relationship to God, even though I sort of pictured him as a guy up in the sky a little bit. I kind of had the feeling he was on my side. And that was back when I thought of God as a he, and I, you know, I, I kind of had a warm feeling about it. Well, I want you to keep that warm feeling. If we just think of God as a description, if we just think of God as all there is, it can take the personalness out of it. And it is that very personalness, it is that very ability for us to connect into that higher wisdom self or that spiritual nature of ourself. It's that connection that makes us powerful, that allows us to access the love and the joy that is in pure spirit. And so whatever we can do, to feel closer to God in a personal way is a good thing. And in fact, it reminds me of a joke that I want to share with you guys. So Billy comes home from Sunday school filled with excitement. We got to know God better today, says Billy. Well, that's nice, says his dad. We're friends now, says Billy. I even know his first name. Well, Billy's father is smiling. Okay, What's God's first name? It's Howard, says Billy. I've been calling him Howard. Now, Billy, Howard's not God's first name. Sure it is, says Billy. We learned it right in the prayer in Sunday school. Our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. <laughs> I want that for you. I feel that way about God, and God certainly wouldn't care if you come up with a pet name for it either. I would like each person here to begin exploring that idea, not only of how big God is, how powerful and wise God is, how, how capable and loving God is, but also what that represents to you personally. How can we become more integrated with that thing? How can we, we begin loving more as God would love? How can we begin using the clues of our own intuition and our own connection to our higher power and, and whatever we name that higher power, however we think of that higher power, how can we, through our connection to it, become leveraging it? And we're going to talk about that more in a couple weeks. I want to leave you with some homework today. 
you know I'd love homework, I'm sorry. The homework today would be a little bit about going from that seven-year-old idea of maybe what's lingering in your mind about what God is like into that more adult version of what God is like. And so your homework is, um, it sounds simple, maybe it's not quite as simple as it sounds, but it would be to do some journaling, journaling around the characteristics of God as you know God. And so, for instance, you might write down, um, God is powerful. That would be a characteristic that you might think of in terms of God, or God is loving. But I'd like you to do one more step, and that would be, how is that showing up in your life? So when you think of God as power, what are some of the powerful forces at work in your own life? Because that's God in your own life. You might be thinking about God as love, or God as loving, Think about how that's showing up in your life. I'd like you to begin personalizing it. Begin thinking about God as it is Howard, as it is your friend, as it is someone that you could literally get to know and begin having a tighter relationship for. We'll begin seeing why this is important in a couple weeks. So this is kind of a first step. I also want to talk a little bit about this connection to everything, and it, and it reminded me uh, of another joke that we told not too long ago, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. So uh, the minister comes home from a holiday to discover a big windstorm has zoomed through the town, a lot of damage done at the church. And so the first Sunday, they're, they're in the sanctuary, one of the windows is blown out, water's coming in, and one of the congregants is a, is a, a, a licensed contractor. So, so she's sitting there with a little pad and a pencil writing down all the damage, right? And so the minister leans over and says, well, what do you think? And she says, well, probably about 10,000 for the roof, another 2,000 for the, the window. And I'm not so sure whether there might be some water damage back here. We probably need to add in a few thousand like that. And of course, they're not quite quiet enough. And some of the other members of the church are, are listening in. And pretty soon you hear around the congregation, oh my gosh, that's 15 or $20,000. Where's that going to come from? Where's this money going to come from? It's not, you know, made on trees. Where's the money going to come from? And the minister just folded his arms and smiled and said, it's going to come from wherever it is right now. <laughs> and if we believe that we are part of the infinity of God, it's literally that easy. Would God deny itself anything? Think about this for a minute. If we've defined God as all there is, that includes all the love, all the joy, all the peace, all the material goods, all the wisdom, all the peace, all, right? It's everything. And if we're part of that, and I assure you we are, why would we deny ourselves anything? Why would God deny itself all of that love, all of that pleasure, all of that material goodness, all, all, all of that wisdom? The only thing that can keep us from experiencing our divinity, from literally just pulling whatever it is we want out of our own pocket or, or out of our own imagination, perhaps, is us. We simply are doubting that we're worthy of it, that the power is sufficient, that we're connected well enough, 
we might think, well, well, so-and-so might manage that, but, but I don't know how to do that. I haven't the, the willpower or the level of faith necessary to do that. We're always chipping away at our own initially perfect connection to all that exists. And so this month, my intention is to move forward in this idea of reconnection, of re-understanding, of, of throwing out those old ideas of God, out with that idea of the guy in the sky with the silver book, or I don't know how, what, however those things work. Let's get rid of that and begin really embracing God as everything. Make God as big as you can in your life, in your own mind, in your own imagination. It includes all the, the stars in the sky. It includes the smallest little cells in our bodies, everything in between. And include yourself in that. Include yourself in the power and in the love and in the joy and in the peace. All those attributes we think of God, it is you also. And that will set us up beautifully in the coming few weeks. But we got to start somewhere. And I think we should start with God. I'm going to close today with a prayer, of course. But I want to read you how this chapter dealing with God, how Ernest Holmes ends it. He says, when we learn to trust the universe, we shall be happy, prosperous, and well. We must learn to come under that divine government and accept the fact that nature's table is ever filled. Never was there a cosmic famine. The finite alone has wrought and suffered, but the infinite lies stretched in smiling repose. God is always God. No matter what our emotional storm or what our objective situation may be, there is always something hidden in our innermost being that has never been troubled. We may stumble, but there is that eternal voice forever whispering within our ear, that thing which causes the eternal quest, that thing forever singing and singing, this is the thing itself. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness, one love, one peace, one harmony, one joy. It is that one thing which is all things. I call it God. It also goes by the name of Allah, the infinite way. It goes by the name of spirit or the divine feminine. This thing, whatever you choose to call it, is in marvelous abundance. It is the cosmos itself made manifest. And what I know about it is that that includes me, that I'm right there, right in the middle of it with my arms outstretched like a finely woven tapestry where I'm represented one little point where two threads come together. This is God and this is me. And I am connected just that closely to that tapestry of life. And as it is true for me, I know without question it is true for each person in this room. Each person here is part of the weft and the, the weave that is God, that is nature, that is the goodness of all life unfolding perfectly. And so each one of us taps into and is part of the glory, the joy, the peace, the love, all of it. Each one of us is as close as our own breath, our own heart, our own imagination, our own minds to the divine. I know it without question. And I give thanks on this day 
I give thanks for this awareness of, of God as ever bigger than it was the day before in my own mind. I give thanks for that awareness of being close and familiar with this power and this present. I give thanks for God showing up today in this room as the hearts, the hands, the minds, and the consciousness of the people in this room. And so I let it be. I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law, that God that always says yes, I release it, I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you're here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.